0: Hello and welcome to Sentimental Garbage, a podcast where we talk about the chicklet that made us who we are. My name is Carolyn O'Donohue, and I'm a novelist, a journalist and someone who once framed a co-worker to cover up for my own insider trading. Joining me is author, journalist, podcaster and sexy gardener Daisy Buchanan to talk about Sophia Kinsler's 2005 novel The Undomestic
1: Goddess. Hi Daisy. hello. Hello. How are you? Oh, I'm very good, Caroline. I'm really, really excited about this. I think I read it when I came out. When I came out,
0: <laughs> Ooh, <laughs> all that's right, news podcast. we got isn't it? it. We've got a scoop. <laughs> Famous lesbian, Desi Buchanan.
1: This is um, the what is. I heard someone describe it sort of the Richard Gere cycle of doom. Like, I'm not gay but it's okay. I think producer Dale my husband if he's listening would be quite um, quite taken aback. But <laughs> I read this when it came out when I was a student and I would have spent mm-hmm. limited student loan um, like uh Sophie Kinsella's most famous heroine, Becky Bloomwood. Mm -hmm. I spent quite a lot of my student loan in clothes shops. (laughs) Right. So my book budget was was limited. And also I always felt massively guilty about reading anything that wasn't Sodding Beowulf. Um, I really enjoyed my degree. Um, So I remember being very, very, very enthusiastic about this then. And obviously, I reread it for the podcast. Mm -hmm. And I've read it quite a lot in between. And it's as good as I remember, if not better. In fact, there are certain things that Sam, the heroine, Mm -hmm. says and does that make a lot more sense to me now than then.
0: Absolutely. So I never read Sophie Kinsella until now. This is my first ever Sophie Kinsella because I think by the time she was coming into her own, I had reached that point where I wasn't reading Chicklet because I was ashamed of myself and I wanted to impress boys, all that. We've been through it. Um, It's it's a lot
1: like, isn't it, I think, being this sort of terrible, terrible emo teen and um, I thought of a better example of being like, oh I've never listened to Donna Summer I only like blink too. and then yeah it's very that Yeah, it takes yeah. quite a while to like see sense
0: <laughs> I know and just not reading any books that are funny for years because you're just too busy trying to understand Hemingway and feeling that like if you understand him enough he'll rise from the dead and fuck you you know <laughs> But anyway, before I go too far down that path, I'm going to give us a quick plot summary. So workaholic Samantha Sweeting is a brilliant uh, contract lawyer working for this highly pressurised firm called Carter Spink. When she accidentally loses millions of pounds in a pretty stupid admin error, she escapes by boarding a train from London and arriving at this house in the Cotswolds where she is mistaken for the new housekeeper by the super bougie nouveau riche couple called the Geigers. And uh, she decides that because she's been disgraced in her former job she's gonna lie low for a while and and learn to become a housekeeper the kind of the catch being that she has been so long in this sort of high professional bubble that she has doesn't know how to make a bed or turn on a washing machine or basically do anything remotely domestic
1: and and we sort of follow it from there right yeah and it's what I really really love about this book is, I think, an accusation that is levelled at a lot of the characters in commercial women's fiction. It's like, oh, they're a bit ditzy, and oh, they, they can't do a thing right. And you have got this really compelling, really sparky, adorable heroine who is so, so smart. And, mm. you know, she's a genius. It's sort of part of the book because she can do sort of enormous math sums in her head. You know, she's one of the the brightest and best sort of lawyers of her generation. And mm. so she is... She does have these kind of these klutzy qualities, but she is... um, But she has a mind like a
0: steel trap. Yes. Yeah.
1: Uh, But she's sort of allowed to be impractical. And I think it's a really, really interesting book about the way we think about intelligence, the way we judge people based on, you know, what they sort of what they seem to be in the way that we kind of we perceive them in the way we they perceive themselves and, and it's, it's, it's you're so right and what's so interesting
0: is that um she sort of uses feminism as a shield mm. rather than a cloak <laughs> which which I think is it is because what she does is like she has no idea how to look after herself in the most basic of senses mm. like she can, she the woman like at the beginning of the book it it is this brilliant beautiful little, highly paid contract lawyer but she can't clean her own home she can't she doesn't even know how to work a hoover she can't feed herself and whenever anyone like criticizes the the fact that she can't do these things, she sort of uses it like well, what, you want all women in the kitchen again when there ever anyone sort of like lightly pressurizes her to maybe make something that isn't toast.
1: You know? Um I read recently, it's a long read on American BuzzFeed. I can find out the author, mm-hmm. um in the show notes it's a really The author really, is probably looking for work right oh. now. <laughs> <laughs> Please hide them they're great. It's a really sad, thoughtful, thorough essay and it's about millennials, sorry to use the dread word. Mm-hmm. Um in the essay it talks about the consensus that all millennials are terrible and lazy and they're spending all of their money on Deliveroo and, you know, convenience food and eating out. But what the essay was saying is like, no, we are a generation who's been taught that work is all that matters. And preparing your food is something that takes you away from work. And so all of the aspects of our lives must be arranged around doing as much work as possible. And this book really is about someone for whom there's an absolute absence of self-care, in yes. her life, and that the fundamentals, as you said, she can't look after herself. She doesn't really, at the beginning of the book, feel that she has any value beyond the value that she creates for her company. And that's it's watching that shift that's really, really interesting. She almost resents having a body at all. Do mm-hmm. you know what I mean? She
0: is somebody who would much rather be a brain in a jar.
1: Yes. And
0: um, and she every physical need from her from wearing clean clothes mm. to food or whatever. She sort of she either outsources or tries to get mm. done as quickly as possible. Like her approach to her sex life is that she had this kind of boyfriend at some point in the in the recent past and she's like, and the good thing is we were both busy and we
1: could finish both quite quickly and it's just very... It's, it's so funny but it's so heartbreaking and there's an amazing bit where she describes one of their dates and he takes it to the opera and leaves after 20 minutes and doesn't come back. And he says that he got um, caught up in a a point of, I think, commercial contract law and just forgot that she was there waiting and he sort of went off and, and dealt with it. And she said that, you know, and instead of, you know, hitting him or crying, I just said, oh, what point
0: of law? Yeah, and she, she, she she's completely accepting of that because it's exactly what she would have done as well. And I, I think what you said a minute ago, just to bring us back a little bit about this, I mean, this is about an adult woman in 2006, so she's probably not a millennial as such, but...
1: It is a very millennial thing. Like, I think this is a book that's kind of got even more true over time. It completely One has. thing that is something that's changed a lot that I think we might maybe come to later, that I don't know if, if Sophie Kinsella wrote this today, if she'd handle it differently or if there'd just be more of this. But when the um, the mistake, which, you know, readers or anyone really will know there's, there's more to it than it being a mistake, um, when that... Blows up, and when Sam becomes infamous in her world, and Mm -hmm. there's lots of reputational damage, and she's got no one looking out for her, and she can't return. There's a bit, really, really sad bit where she's kind of googling herself and seeing, you know, that That, that she has become
0: sort of shorthand for failing stupendously in your, like, in your world. And
1: obviously, the social media fallout now. Imagine that would that would be the book. Yeah.
0: What's interesting is, so so we have Samantha and she she has this incredibly high pressure job. She's a contract lawyer for this huge city firm. And uh, and that is a really specialized person, right? Like people kind of, we know all of people like that or we did then, but they're not someone you necessarily know. It's like a real pantomime version of being obsessed with your work. Mm. However, I don't think it's a pantomime anymore because I think people I know are certainly this obsessed with her work. Like, that we open the book and she's getting a massage, and she like is being shouted at by the massage therapist because she won't like. She has her BlackBerry in her underwear and all this. It's like really, written at the beginning of the smartphone era, and we're now we're smack in
1: the middle of that. I do smartphone love that era. joke so much, and I must say, with all of Sophie Kinsella's books, the gag rate never ever lets up. My there's, money, there's she is the she two is PG Woodhouse, but alive and writing now. Totally, and she'd rather pretend that she's got because she smuggled her phone into her paper knickers as well as her blackberry and she'd rather pretend it's a vibrator than fess up and she even tries to take the call by telling the massage therapist I'm I'm reaching a rather intimate moment I think you should step outside (laughs) (laughs) and that is something that I love about all of Sophie Kinsella's heroines is they are so instinctively clever and they're so quietly subversive and they're mm. all in a, the loveliest most endearing way such creative plucky liars Yes. Um, and they're all very funny and thoughtful and I think that's why we love Sam so much is she's not who we think of as you know lawyers we think of as being I think very very literal and detail oriented and I'm sure there are lawyers listening who'll be very upset about this <laughs> do you write in and um <laughs> But you're a podcaster. Like you're taking people to write in my podcast. We don't think of the law as, as being necessarily a creative. Um, it's, uh, it's sentimental garbage at 125 <laughs> Sentimental Garbage Road. Um, you know, we don't think of it as being uh, a creative professional. I'm sure it absolutely can be. And I'm sure there are plenty of people in it who are very creative. Mm-hmm. But it's her creativity against the, I suppose, the very like grey backdrop of some an yeah. industry that doesn't seem creative and other characters don't seem creative.
0: And interestingly because the, the first sort of bit of the book which we spend a lot of her with her in this office and we get to know her co-workers mm. quite well and um, even though she's this genius and everyone knows she's this genius, um, she is like, she, or she's she got this desk that is just like all paper and bits of stuff everywhere mm. and it is very feasible that she would make a big mistake because of this like disorganised clutter and she is this outlier even though she is part of this establishment, she's a, a rebel within it and mm. people treat her in a very certain way in there as well. Um, it's like, it's very much, oh, we we need Samantha on this. She's our best girl. But they also, they do this thing that is very normal, I think, for women at the workplace and that they become... Every everything just falls on her like every like little memo or little yeah. thing comes onto her desk in and a way that her male coworker does not seem to exactly. experience
1: exactly and yeah. this idea as well that it's not just doing something but doing it beautifully and tidily it's everything backwards in high heels and I yeah. think that uh, me and you have both had that experience in our jobs like my very very first job where I was utterly fucking miserable and I was so bad at that job but also what job was it um uh-huh. it was in financial PR. I oh. remember relating quite a lot to to go back to Becky Bloomwich, who's a financial journalist. And I yeah. think possibly it was reading those books that made me think, oh, I think I know something about this industry. <laughs> I think I could have a go. <laughs> I but could do this. Nobody ever wanted to hear my ideas. And I did have some good ideas. Mm. I remember trying to be plucky and trying to show that I could be of added value by um suggesting something that some clients could do around like CSR corporate social responsibility about ethical investment and I sort of researched all this stuff and one You know, my immediate boss had said I could and then her boss kind of shut me down. It's like, that's not necessary. What we need you to do is um, tidy up the mortgage magazines. Oh, my
0: God. Honestly. I had that experience so much in my young working life. And I think we all tried to do that, be that romantic comedy heroine, Mm. right? The the plucky young Anne Hathaway or the Sophia Kent Kinsella
1: character. But a lot of it is actually, at the time... I just didn't think stuff like that happened to girls like me. So I you know, was the exact didn't same. Yeah, I could ever get what I wanted. I
0: always thought that if I was going to get anywhere, it would be through some backdoor channel. Like, you know what I mean? I would have to what? trick You'd someone. bomb your way into the <laughs> creative I would bomb my way into creativity. <laughs> but no, what's weird is, um, you know, we've, we've, we've gone on a little journey away from the book. But uh, what's interesting about it is that we are both women who, like Samantha, totally define ourselves by what we do. Um, and like she completely defines herself as a contract lawyer. A lawyer is who she mm. is. A high achieving genius who she is. That's who people in her family are. Her mother is the same. Um, and she goes on this journey throughout this book where she has to start redefining her life by new standards.
1: Oh, because I do want to talk about quite early on as well, where through a series of um, accidents and, and misadventures, she goes to the, the Geigers and she goes in because she's sort of obviously... You know, she has gone into shock. She's just discovered that this thing has happened. All she's ever dreamed of is making partner. I think, is she going to be the youngest ever partner? The youngest ever partner um, at this huge firm. She gets the good news and then discovers she's made this mistake and she... That's going to cost the company millions and millions and millions. Please. And what yeah. I think is great about what Sophie Kinsella does is she does sort of make it clear like, this isn't, you know, emotionally... There's something like, you know, physiological has happened, like the adrenaline. Yeah. It's like it's suddenly yeah. being taken very, very ill. What's happened? Having that experience, you mm. just has no idea what to do. Leaves, gets on a train to anywhere, ends up getting off in little Ebury and she's just totally dazzled, sort of knocks on the Geiger's house to ask for a glass of water because the pub's shut and yeah. she just doesn't know where she is. I think she needs to maybe charge her phone and then they're interviewing for a housekeeper and hilarity ensues <laughs> but what i love so much was when it sort of becomes apparent what's what's happening and this sort of you know all of the, these misunderstandings are, are coming to a head when samantha realizes there's a job on offer and that there's competition and the yeah. other people have been she's like I'm getting this job. I don't care. What I just, I have to. Yeah, it's, a, it's she, the first
0: thing that snaps her out of that mm. state. And she's like, and they're like, oh, you know, we have other people coming. And she's like, excuse me? <laughs> I people? am going to I get this job. So. Yeah,
1: And the way she improvises, that is magnificent. I think that's how we know who this this woman is. And there's this real plucky, gorgeous, dazzling sense of, I have got this. I'm just going to figure the rest out. And this is what I'm going to present And then this is sort of who I really am. And actually, I do think that that's something that's maybe changed a bit now or it's very, very relevant now is on the one hand, if you're a woman and you do anything on the Internet, Mm -hmm. you are expected to present one thing. And I think that there's a real weird moment that we're in now where it's like, but you must be authentic. You must be real. Like, we need to see your spots and your scars and show us your, your lumpy flesh. And... On the one hand, it's admirable. On the other hand, I think it's a real, it's a shitty reductive thing we do where we make women feel as though honesty is somehow equated with sort of being imperfect and being less than. And mm-hmm. what, why I think Sam is such a, the heroine we, we need right now um, is that she will present the glossy facade and she can conjure the facade and then let yeah. the rest follow and improvise and and make it up, she leans into herself, I guess. She does she ends up living the lie in a really yeah, successful way. So, so, so she ends way. up
0: living in the it's she's not just like a day to day housekeeper. She lives in their house. She wears a uniform and like what's really funny, a really great reoccurring joke in the book is that she um Basically, on instinct, curtsies for them Mm. on day one. And then they love the curtsy so much that she has to keep curtsying for the duration of the book.
1: And I guess, because I I do love the Geiger so much. And I think Trish. Yeah, let's talk about the Geiger a
0: little bit more. She
1: is an imposter. Well, that's it, you know, that Sam is an imposter who knows it. Trish is this really funny... I, oh god I'm trying to think of a word that's not feisty because feisty is a bit it. but yeah. she's really really powerful but vulnerable and she's got so much personality and no filter but I, there is this bit of uncertainty and a bit of her that feels uncomfortable with being newly wealthy and she's really trying to perform this role as society woman and not quite pulling it off She's
0: quite an Austin figure, isn't she? Mm. Um, And I think you've known a woman like Trish, if you've ever lived in a sort of like a a middle class suburbia, that woman exists, that woman who's like getting a pool built, Mm. even though like there's really not the space or the the resources (laughs) or even the occasion for it. It's a paddling pool you will go in for three days in June. (laughs) Exactly. But it's all status all the time. Mm. And she's this woman who's, um, what's so fascinating about the dynamic is that she's obviously a woman who, who is probably working class or, lower middle Mm. class but she's come into money through her relationship and now she is acting like a rich person but has no idea how to do that and then meanwhile Sam who is from an upper middle class Mm. background and has been around extreme wealth Mm. through her job and knows how rich people act and actually has a much better idea of how Trish and so they're kind of like this weird cat and mouse game of trying to figure each other out and also Sam having to conceal what she knows because she's supposed to be a sort of a lower educated mm. house cleaner even though she is both incredibly worldly and incredibly, you know, um, intelligent. You it's know?
1: very, but, you know, this could be, it could be a Sheridan play, couldn't it? It's mm. the that play on, you know, the staff of the, the smart ones who know all and then the, yes. the people they're serving are a bit ridiculous. But I do want to say that I think the Geigers are an incredibly sweet romantic model and they've got a really but they're always shagging love story because yeah. they're always shagging <laughs> they argue but they absolutely seem to be a team mm-hmm. and there's this sense that they you know met when neither of them had nothing and they built this business up as a unit and mm-hmm. I think that's the real you know the feminist message isn't there this idea that I think we're supposed to be independent career women and that's what Samantha's been sold and what she sort of ends up challenging or questioning and then I think you do see true equality in their partnership yeah. there is that really amazing scene I love so much when she's in Samantha is serving coffee oh to I love, it's my favorite in the whole book
0: I think yeah. oh really so tense um,
1: yeah and these terrible businessmen are there stitching him up, and she knows she can see the contract, and, and the contract knows. is just garbage. The contract is just mm.
0: legal nonsense
1: that they've thrown in to confuse I, him, and she knows it. Mm. And but she, they, he, she and can't tell him she knows that he's financially liable. For, so she's got to. So she tries to um, to bring him out, um, so she can t- basically signify to him mm. that you know, this contract
0: is garbage and he's going to be made financially viable without telling him that she has a huge legal knowledge. Mm. And at this point, they're like, our unusually bright housekeeper, <laughs> you know. They're trying to help her do a maths GCSE. Oh my God, that's the funniest bit ever is that they're like, um, Samantha, you've just done large sums in your head. And she's like, have I? It's just that Rain Man
1: has a lot to answer for. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh yeah, and so they're, they're so um, captivated by our intelligence that they really try and play this white saviour role thing with her where they're like um, oh look we're going to we're going to put you through school you're going to finish school Samantha and meanwhile she's there with her Oxford education and being like yeah I will do my maths GCSE to make you proud (laughs) it's just like the most brilliant thing
1: but then that is the really touching thing about the book and the Geigers and I guess we should talk as well about um, her her potential mother-in-law Iris the Mother of sexy Nathaniel. Yes, we the haven't even.
0: Um, so we haven't introduced Nathaniel yet. So Nathaniel is um, the landscape gardener for the Geigers, and he is the first person to realize that Samantha is playing a con on these people. And he kind of he sees her through the garden window, and she's literally like pouring chickpeas mm-hmm. onto a fucking um, baking tray with just a raw chicken on it. <laughs> and she's like, "Yeah." And then he's like, "What are you doing?" And she and he starts watching her. And like my favorite part with my first like big belly laugh of the book where she um, puts a saucepan on the cold stove pours some wine in it and just starts stirring the wine (laughs) with a wooden spoon it's a cold sauce it's a cold sauce and it's so fantastic and funny but anyway Nathaniel um, once he realises that she's not trying to con the Geigers out of their money or anything um, he starts to help her and he teaches her how to do these things and he uses his mum Iris um, who lives around the corner in this very like rustic cottage that seems like it's from the nineteen thirties. Um and then every every weekend she goes round to their house and um, she learns how to cook and learns how to how to be a housewife really. And it's um and she finds huge freedom through it.
1: Iris is as much of a therapist, I think, as, you know, the the mum of Nathaniel and is the person kind of teaching Samantha how to cook. She is really tender and kind yeah. and i think what's really powerful about this book is it's so light and fun and the jokes are amazing and the pace is amazing and it's yeah. a real romp but it's hard you know it's, it's very serious it's about the impact of emotions and, and relationships um for various reasons um Samantha, the, the time is not right for a long time to tell anybody where, where she comes from. Obviously, she's got to keep the secret yeah. from the Geigers, but she can't tell Nathaniel because he really, 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 really hates lawyers after the way he's treated by lawyers following mm-hmm. the death of um of his father. So it's assumed that she's been sort of running away for, from an abusive relationship. <gasps> oh, my God.
0: Um, yeah, because she's so she's so twitchy and mm. she's so reactive and she's so... um private and secretive and and everyone just does assume that she's come out of an abusive relationship and everyone gives her that sympathy even though she's never confirmed or denied it.
1: And I suppose perhaps on the one hand you think is that is it interesting that people assume that of a woman that it couldn't possibly be her job when she's been giving her emotional all to her job. I don't think that at any point anyone kind of lessens the awfulness or the, the yeah. tragedy or the pain of, of such a relationship but I think When you're that passionate about your career and you don't feel that you're totally in control of it, because the other thing that I think is we get from Samantha that I think is possibly quite common to people of our generation, we have been told that it's really important to be ambitious, but Mm -hmm. no one ever really explained the difference between you must be ambitious and you must get all those stars and your GCSEs and Mm A-levels that as a lawyer, Samantha's ambition is quite people-pleasing. It's about being perfect for other people, never for her. And you d- I've been, you know, that well. That first job, I cried twice a day, three times a day, every yeah. day. I was constantly anxious, constantly scared, yeah, yeah. never not thinking about it, always holding my breath, waiting to be, you know, yelled at or or ign- always, always feeling like I wasn't going to be included. I was just desperately unhappy and I felt so trapped and... In a way,
0: I mean, not to, I totally know what you're saying. I have been there. I have had um, bosses who I still have nightmares about, who I haven't um, seen nor heard from in six or seven years. And um, I think that is something that we don't give a lot of uh, time and seriousness to, that you can have PTSD from a job, that you can have like, a boss or a co-worker emotionally unmoor you in a way that you don't even recognise yourself. Like, I think people have been through that and we don't... And yet, we're, we you know, when we, when we say, like, a partner is being emotionally mm. abusive and, you know, we understand now when we say, like, oh, you know, my, you, her boyfriend, he didn't hit her, but he made her hate herself. He did mm. this. He alienated her from her friends. Da, 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 da. Like, these are all things that I have known jobs to do to yes. people. Yes,
1: and again, there's that awful dependency, isn't there? Because when you're there, you're like, well, I... If I don't do this, if I don't go up to this place that makes me cry all the time every day, where I'm yeah. always, always so scared. Um, and I And also I, it's pay- my
0: fault. It's my fault that I'm crying. Yes. It's my fault that I feel this way. And like, I'm well, not if,
1: performing. If you know? I don't keep showing up, I, I can't pay my rent. I can't eat. I'm going to be homeless.
0: Yeah. Which is why women stay in abusive marriages. And I, I really want to say and make it very clear here that... You know the the sort of pain of an abusive marriage is is not the same as, as the pain of an, of, not. A, of a bad job. Yeah, but there are definitely parallels. Mm. You know, and that don't and that get brushed under the carpet so often. I think, and I also think that like there's a thing of you know when you know, when you have a terrible job and it's all you can think about is getting out of that terrible mm. job, and then you go home and you you tell your friends, you tell your partner, you tell your housemates or whatever, and. Uh, and they'll be sympathetic for a while, but then if you don't just leave, they'll be like, come on, yeah. we can't listen to this. And so you stop talking about it. Yes. And so that pain goes further and further and further within. One of the people that I think is a symbol of your early 20s, um, she's kind of like a counterpoint to Samantha, mm. is Melissa, who is the niece or the cousin. I think,
1: yeah, the niece of the Geigers. The,
0: yeah, and uh, they say, it's quite funny how she's like, you know, her the lead up is like, oh, a lawyer is coming mm. to stay, <laughs> a lawyer, and and Samantha is freaking her box because she's just like, <laughs> oh my god, there's like only X amount of city lawyers. Mm. I had I know all of them. Da, da, da. What if it's this person? What if it's this mm. person? Oh god, is it Melissa Carter over at thingy thing? And then Melissa turns up and she's twenty and she's in sco- she's still in university and she's studying for her law degree. And she is the most self important and also the most recognizable 20 year old I have ever seen on paper. It's somewhere a bit
1: made up, isn't it? Is it like Chelsea? I mean, God, if this exists, I'm in a lot of trouble, but it's like the Chelsea Law School. And it's like, she's the best law school in the country. And yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sam is thinking, no, no, it's really not. <laughs> it's Stellar yeah. Law School. She's got this whole thing of like,
0: oh, yeah, well, you know, once I get my placement, then everything will just be easy. Mm. You know, it's just it's just I just have this one year, hard year. Mm. And then after I do that, I'll get my placement and I'll be fine and I'll, I'll work for Carter Spink. And, and Samantha's looking there being like, no, like she absolutely despises her because she's such a little brat. But she also wants to like throw her whole body in front of her to protect her because of like how hideous this job as a lawyer is. And uh, I don't know if you watch Crazy Ex-Girlfriend at all.
1: I have done I'm a little behind
0: Are you aware of the song Don't Be a Lawyer?
1: (laughs) After I think two days before I graduated I went to see Avenue Q and the first song was What Do You Do With An English Degree and I'm thinking Oh no
0: No yeah, that don't be a lawyer is like literally how it's like this glamorized profession where you think you're going to be standing up in court, but actually mm. you will spend like six years of your life trying to manage the merging of one pharmaceutical company into a slightly larger pharmaceutical company. And that will be six years.
1: I think it's a lot like having children where if people really, really thought about what was involved before they did it, they would never do it.
0: Yeah. And if people were just honest about what it involved, like I think if people were... People try and be very honest about what life as a writer is like. Oh, it's like, oh, you'll be poor forever, but you'll have your art, all that kind of stuff. People really warn you off being a writer. People don't warn you off being Mm. a lawyer because everybody wants to have a lawyer in the family.
1: I think as well, there's something weird about work and something that kind of comes up a lot here is like Being a workaholic is, it's an acceptable addiction, but it is an addiction. At the moment, I think it's Matt Rudd in the Sunday Times in Mm -hmm. the magazines doing a column about... Being a middle-aged man, I was quite sceptical about. Right, <laughs> what, right, of course. Right, you really need more insight you into being a middle-aged man. Yeah, I, I need more than. <laughs> I think it's off the back of a a study or a big feature recently that's talking about the number of really, really, really depressed middle-aged men who are earning a lot of money but just feel totally trapped. And and it's very, very human, isn't it? I just need to get through this awful bit and then it's going to be yeah. fine. And,
0: and that's how we meet Samantha as well because we meet her. And yeah. She's like, I just need to make partner and then after I make partner, everything will be fine. But she's, her entire life, and she realises when she mm-hmm. looks at old diaries, mm-hmm. it's just lists of like, once I do this, I will get a hobby, I will have a friend, I will learn how to make the like, washing Constantly machine work. Say, and- this
1: is just a blip. And again, it's a bit like this idea that we should be happy. It's something that, um, you know, we pay a lot of lip service to. And there is lots of like live in the now advice that doesn't Mm -hmm. really help. But I do think that's what this book is about. And I suppose perhaps what's challenging is, is it feminist or not for Samantha to find happiness and fulfillment, making beds and making bread is, I mean, I believe, you know, you do you and what this book is really about is that, you know, different things feel right for everyone. And she is celebrating something really unconventional by doing something that seems very, very conventional. Mm.
0: So we should say that um, uh, she eventually she gets found out. Um, what happens is that she she discovers that Carter Spink essentially framed her, and um, they made something look like a admin fault on her part when actually they were doing insider trading and they needed a patsy, and she became that patsy. Um, and then, as as this story becomes exposed and as it gets larger and larger, um the story of her, the fact that she is this, uh, came. This, I think is it Oxford or Cambridge? Is Oxford? I think
1: Cambridge.
0: Um, yeah, it's the same. Um, it's all England to me. The whole story of this like, um, this genius with this huge job at one of the biggest law firms in London um, that she could leave to clean toilets. And she gives this quote mm. by accident that says, I'd rather clean toilets than uh, work at Cardi Spink. And then she becomes unwittingly the face of this entire viral news story where it's like, our, and everyone has their own take. It's like, our women prefer kitchen maybe <laughs> and, and she becomes a spokesperson it's so honestly in in our jobs as like people who often have to react to the news and like hey some random woman has done something in Hertfordshire and it's made some news do you have a comment and like that whole that whole cycle is commented on in a very interesting way I think
1: it's really, really perceptive. And I do think as well that when we talk about the the tropes of the genre, about, you know, chick lit and women's commercial fiction, and the thing that people do not really get, I think, when they're criticising from outside, is that sort of knowing what's going to happen. I think it's really, really... I never
0: knew what was going to happen with this. Oh, really? <laughs> I think, yeah. Like, I didn't that... think it was predictable at all. Because
1: it's, it's so, so satisfying. The lows are so low and mm-hmm. the highs are so high. And you do see... Sam having the worst luck and then she gets everything that you hope she's going to get and it's that bit even I think less so than the the romance, that satisfaction of her brilliant brain mm-hmm. figuring out those details and really oh, thinking so, through and working out It's a out proper, it feels like, how she like she a spy framed. thriller, doesn't it? Mm, yeah. And there's that bit where she goes and she tries to get back into the building to sort of find some mm-hmm. information, and that doesn't turn out how you think it's going to. I found that really, really stressful to read. Yeah, when she when she really shows up, the car just being pretending to be a waitress, and also um, that the person who frames her being this sort of seemingly jolly, benevolent, you know, her favourite person at Mm -hmm. the firm.
0: Oh, it's it's so humiliating because she's dressed as a caterer. Mm -hmm. um, She's conned her way in into this retirement party, the retirement party of the person who has fucked her over. And then she basically starts accusing them. And then everybody, it's like a, a terrible stress dream. Everybody she used to work with basically turns around and they're like, Samantha Sweeting is a waitress now? And it's like the first time you get that glimpse of how... Her this this the, I mean she's not a waitress, she's a house cleaner, but um this this beautiful life that she's found herself with mm. Nathaniel, with her new friends, with being able to cook a really good chicken, like people that she from her old life revile her for it. The fact that she has found any joy outside of the legal profession, outside of London, they think that she's kidding herself, they think like in, in a way that like you often get when anyone like moves outside of London to you know get a farmhouse and buy a few chickens or whatever, and there's always that bit of being like, okay, mm, all right, out of the game now, are yeah, you? You know, you there's take a real the condescending, pace, yeah, exactly. There's that thing with London where it's like if you. I don't know, if you cash in your chips too early before you've made like 10 million pounds that you failed or you've given up, you know? You
1: know, there's, when, so when I first read this, I guess I would have been 19 or 20 uh-huh. and hopefully I was never Melissa. But I think there was a bit of me that's thinking, why would you walk away from all of that yeah. money and that status and that really, really dazzling job to to make beds? Come on now. There was just a yeah. tiny bit of me that didn't, buy it but I'm 33 now I have a career I'm really proud of but even the best bits I found quite challenging at times I've given as much as I have to give to this and I think gosh actually I have nothing but joy for this woman who is doing what she wants to do
0: um, we need to start wrapping this up, but is there anything that we haven't talked about yet in it? I feel like we've barely mentioned Nathaniel, the sexy, mm, sexy gardener. He is
1: my favourite, um, Sophie Kinsella romantic hero. And I'm going to say that increasingly, I'm not. I don't really fancy the guys in the romantic comedies because I sort of. I, it's more that I just love and adore the heroines, and yeah. I know they're going to end up together. And I'm just like, no, you get on with it. I can't fancy you because you're you're for them. But I think. What I love about um, the fact they have the greatest sex scene um, down by the Bridge, and that they're out and it's a hot day and they're doing this sort of slow striptease while he's trying to get her to plant things, which... It's um, so uh, earthy and
0: sweaty. And then she just falls asleep outside, and it's, like it's in her really, knickers. And it's really, really,
1: really drawn out. And he is quite sort of provocative and he's really making her way. And it's she is the one he said, no, come here now. Let's go, which... I think even at the time I thought, yes, that's, you know, you don't always get a woman making all the moves, but it's not. There's no stupid Christian Grey bullshit. This is yeah, proper, this is a woman who knows what she wants. And actually Nathaniel is sort of objectified in a way that I'm like here for. I'm like, yes, yeah, you take off your show. But also his, his decency, I think. He is, in when there's no one really in her old life who has that, decency and he's I think the first person to show what it's like to have a core that of all the characters in the book I think he knows himself the best.
0: I think that's very true yeah and and you don't get that often with male characters Mm. in books you know it's very rare that you come across a man in a in one of these books and they're and they don't need to be actually improved by the woman because he's kind of Mm. done you know. Well
1: you know I'm a massive devoted fan of Julie Cooper but even the nice guys are pretty, pretty bastardy. And, yeah. you get the, and I think a lot of it is that so many were written at a time when it was very much, when, you know, Makismo was sexy <laughs> and McKismo. we were a bit suspicious of new men. And they're like, no, that's just being a decent human yeah. being. And that's something that's really shifted. But I think she writes... Very, very appealing men.
0: Yeah. I think the difference is, like, Nathaniel isn't a nice guy. He's Mm, a good bloke. Yes. He's just a really good bloke. Like, likes his friends, likes his mum. Like, isn't simperingly nice Mm. to her in a way that he expects something. He's just like...
1: Yeah, as you say, very decent. He is really, really solid. And I think that's a very unusual Yeah, And not, in a, not
0: in a dull way, mm. I guess, because he's a very sexy person. He's so a very therefore. sexy person. And
1: there's that really lovely bit where he's teasing her. And I think I've gone to the pub for the first time. Mm-hmm. And she's talking about... Oh, you can just tell it's a sort of village where if something happens, everybody would rally around. <laughs> it's just, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> He's really, really good at just affectionately winding her up. And you yeah. really see his personality um, in his dialogue.
0: You can you can really tell from Sophie Kinsella that she likes hanging out with men. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Not in a kind of a cool girl, mm. like, mm-hmm, kind of way, but in a sort of like, blokes are a laugh, aren't they? Yes. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> Which is really nice because you often get the sense... Uh, with women writers as well as men writers that they're kind of the other gender is kind of a mystery to them when it comes down to like just hanging out well, you know again
1: I should perhaps say that that there's a, I've just read her new book which is fantastic and it is called I owe I you, owe you one. one yeah I have it at um, home and again what's really really fantastic about that is there's a real scales falling from the eyes of her crush turning out not any spoilers but you know he is a wrong and mm. but There's also a hero in that who is a tiny bit flawed in a very human way. And I think it's more like pride than being fully flawed, but also someone who's decent and solid. And there is something so sexy and rare about, you know, there'll be a world of of flash bastards and then one guy who just does what he says he's going to do and keeps his word and does things that aren't entirely for him. Like, that is hot. That
0: is hot. Daisy, you've just done a very good job of um, plugging Sophia Kinsler's next book. How about you plug your
1: own? Oh, thank you, My book is called The Sisterhood. I love books about sisters, so I wrote one. I'm the real life um, eldest of um, six sisters, mm. and the book is real. It's a a memoir, but I'm thinking about relationships between women and all the friendships and the love and hate and yeah. jealousy and competitiveness and the laughs as well so and it's
0: absolutely wonderful and I I'm going
1: to say four so out good. of five sisters love it one <laughs> out of five was like I can understand why you felt that you had to do this do
0: you know I, um, I feel personally responsible for that book because not not because of anything that we said to each other but I um, was thinking about you one day and I think actually it was Ella Rizbridger who was on season one who I told about it I said to her if I was the oldest sister of six sisters I would never stop writing about it and the next day you announced on Instagram that you were <laughs> writing a book about being the oldest of six sisters I was like oh my god I did it <laughs> so you can thank me later
1: it's that. I do think it's the the funniest thing I've ever read. It truly and the saddest is saddest. I, I had a lot of reading assignments know, for this,
0: so I couldn't. Um, I I read it when you gave it to me, and I, I read the first thirty pages, and then I had to read this <laughs> <for the> thing, <laughs> and so I had to come back to it. But from what I read, it is absolutely fabulous. Um, Daisy, thank you so much for coming in today. This has been a wonderful. Jolly jog through Sophia pleasure. Kinsler's career. It's can I fab. come back
1: on a different series? I have many books. Many, I'd many, like to many books to discuss.
0: About. Oh yes, and of course, um, you're a uh, host of your own book podcast, which I I'm sure I have. Caroline, Caroline know. is a
1: brilliant guest on. Thank you very um, much. We have done your episode, haven't we? It's called yeah. Your Booked. It's available wherever you get your podcasts. Um, go to acast.com slash booked and you can see our guests and all the books that they read. And we look at people's bookshelves and we find out about people's lives in books and about the books they remember and sometimes the books they'd rather forget (laughs) (laughs) thanks so much
0: Daisy thank you cheers this has been Sentimental Garbage and I've been Caroline O'Donoghue you can follow me on Twitter at ZaraLine that's C-Z-A-R-O-L-I-N-E or email me by the podcast at ZaraLineO'Donoghue at gmail.com thanks to Harry Harris for the jingle Gavin Dave for the logo and ACAST for the recording space this has been a Justice for Done Women podcast produced by Hannah Varrell.